Thank you for joining us on the Sports Medicine Broadcast. I am Alicia M. Pennington, your host of the Business Advantage Podcast. We are live here in Las Vegas at NATA 2019 inside the Dragonfly Max Podcast Lounge. And we are here with none other than Sue Falzone. <laughs> I am so excited to do this interview. You're a legend in athletic training. Oh my gosh, um, thank you. That's so kind. <laughs> anybody who's watching on the social media, feel free to shoot us any questions that you have. We'll do our best to get them answered live for you. So um, I'm just gonna get us kicked off here and started. Everybody knows you, I, I shouldn't say everybody, majority of people know you um, from being the first female athletic trainer in Major League Baseball with the Dodgers. What were you doing before that? What did life look like for you leading up to that moment? And how did that come to be? Yeah, it's, um, gosh, thank you. Those are some really kind words, first of all. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I, legend might just equal old um, <laughs> no, at this point. Not. But yeah, no, but I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, that was such a fun time in my life. And leading up to it was really, really cool. I was working at Athletes Performance, okay, yeah. uh, which is now known as Exos. Yes. Uh, and I was there, gosh, I was at Athletes Performance for 13 years of my life. And right. um, during that time when I was there, the Dodgers had approached Athletes Performance to help with some um, injury uh, prevention solutions and strength and conditioning and those sure. sorts of things. And so uh, it just sort of became my account, for a lack of a better word. Okay. And started working with uh, working with them, and the role just sort of gradually grew, which was really great. It, it was sort of started off as a consulting thing, and then just kind of went to um, uh, a bigger consulting role, yeah. and then it grew into the job of the head athletic trainer. So okay. I, was, I was with them for six years, which was wonderful, and, yeah. and head for two, and it was just a, a fantastic time. And it, and it was such a barrier um, to break down for our profession, for women, for females. Did it feel that way? Did you understand the significance of it when you were going through it or was it kind of just something that happened and then it was a hindsight type of thing? Yeah. You know, I, we had talked about the fact when they were offering me the job, we had talked about the fact that there were no other females in that position previously. Right. And so we, we kind of mentioned it, but I really didn't think it was going to be a big deal. And so I remember that morning when it was sort of announced and I was sleeping and my phone just kept like going off. Like, right. I, it, like I was getting millions of texts and I'm yeah. like, what is going on? I thought maybe something was wrong. Something right? happened. Like, bad, yeah, something <laughs> bad happened. Well, something did happen. But, like, yeah, but I wasn't really thinking about it. And my, and my friends, it was just text after text. They were like, you're on the ticker. You're on ESPN. You're on the ticker. You're on the ticker. Right. I'm like, what are you talking about? So I go and I turn on ESPN and sure enough, it's LA Dodgers are set to hire Sue Falsoni. She's the first female to hold this position right. in any profession, any of the four major sports. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this, oh, whoa. Yeah. Right, so it right. wasn't until that moment that I, I was like, oh, this might be bigger than I thought it was. Right. Cause I didn't really think I don't know. It'd be like saying, oh, I, I can't get a job because I have blue eyes. Totally. Right. Totally. Like it just, I didn't even think about no, absolutely. it, which I know sounds naive. And I, and I don't mean for that to sound flip because I, I do realize the significance of it. But at the time I didn't really, I didn't really understand it. Well, and, and I think, um, you know, that's kind of the point is that it wasn't about that. And, and to an extent, maybe it, it came to be so organically because neither one of you was focused on that aspect. It wasn't some, you know, affirmative action that they were trying to meet or they weren't trying right. to race to be the first. It was a natural relationship that developed between the two of you. You 
obviously continued to rise to the top. And then it was just a natural development in that relationship. Right. And it, it wasn't this, we're going to come out and we're going to be the organization and, and, and nor for you where I'm going to be the first female. And right. No, yeah, not at all. It was very organic and, you know, very fitting. I mean, the Dodgers are just an organization of firsts, right? Like, yeah. So it was just really, I think, pretty special, too, to have it be with the L.A. Dodgers. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, the whole thing was, was really amazing. And, um, you know, I still talk to so many young women uh, to, to this day yeah. that email me or now again I'm feeling old because like all of people come up and they're like oh I used to watch you when I was little and I wanted to be oh, and, I was, no. and I was like when, I, when you were little <laughs> when you were oh, little God. what does that mean like, it didn't feel like that long ago but okay yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and and um you know I as much as I appreciate that there was the acknowledgement from the Dodgers going into it that hey there wasn't a first female here that's not what it was about yeah and, I know I mean if you had to give advice to other women or when you do give advice to other women, is that sort of like the theme of it or the, the connotation of it? Like just let things naturally develop or, I mean, what do you, what do you say to people when they, when they reach out and say, how do I do what you did? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, that's a real, that's an interesting question because I, I think one of the things that I, that I often tell women, which, which is a, maybe not, I don't know. Like, stop thinking about being a woman. I Absolutely. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think, yes, that's the you point know? that we're trying to make. Yeah, yes. it's just be really good at your craft. Yep. I studied and I was I worked really hard um, to be a good athletic trainer, to be a good physical therapist, and to be a good human, and to be a good clinician and a caregiver, right? right. And so all of those things I think were really good. And again, I didn't, you know, we could have a whole podcast about jobs I haven't gotten. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, there's true. plenty of that's opportunities really I didn't get. Yeah. And, and there's definitely things I didn't get in my mind, probably because I was a female. Sure. And that's okay. I don't choose to focus on those, right? Absolutely. Like I choose to focus on, there's plenty of organizations that will give the best person the opportunity. Yes. And that's where I choose to put my attention and where I choose let, to put my let focus. Let the skills speak for themselves. Yeah, they, it will happen. They'll be forced to overlook the fact that you're a female if you're just the most well-qualified candidate. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, just really be focused on being good at what you do. Be a yep. student of the sport. Understand, you know, what what role you're, you're trying to really attain and why you're trying to get there. Right. And yeah, there's going to be organizations that won't look twice at you because you're a female, but there's plenty of organizations that will. That will. And so, you know, there've, there've, um, there've been a lot of changes yeah. uh, for females in, in athletic training. So what are some of the things that you've seen over the years for either, you know, for opportunities or representation or um, obviously you getting in there is one of those things, but what, what are some of the changes that you've seen over the years? Yeah, I think there's a lot of really great changes happening right now. There's so many um, different organizations, the NFL, Major League Baseball, focused on diversity, Yes. right? And and what that means and what does that look like and, and how can we just be better at that across the board, right? right. Not just with women, right? Uh, but with all un underrepresented um, people. And so it's really a cool, I think it's just, we're in a cool time right now. It is. I'm. I think this is one of the most exciting times to be an athletic trainer. I don't I don't think I, that I feel that way because it's just this is my profession and I'm, you know, 10 years into it, but I really feel like there's momentum and, and things are really going in a, a super positive direction. Yeah, I agree. I feel really good about it. But so considering what you've already seen, what do you feel like still needs to be done uh, either for females specifically um, or, oh yeah, let's just say from females specifically, where do you feel like there's still room to grow or, or change to be had? Yeah, you know, of course, we there's there's a lot of, of changes and, and a lot of things that, that are, are need to be done. But I think one thing is that I really encourage young women 
I kind of take it back to the to the lean in concepts, right, from Sheryl mm, Sandberg, and it. I love that book. And I, I think it's a, she makes some really good points in there. The first being is as a young female professional, whether you're an athletic trainer or any type of profession, yeah. is to not take yourself out of the workforce too soon, mm -hmm. right? Meaning, it's great to have goals of wanting to have a family or, or getting married and those sorts of things. Yeah. And, and those are great goals to have. But because you think you want those things in three to five years, right. don't go up for a job or don't not go up for a job now because you think, oh, well, in three years, I'm going to have a baby. Okay, right. that, that's a great goal and that, sure, that might be something sure. you do and want to do. But don't limit yourself. But don't limit yourself now. Right. right? And I think that we, we do. A lot of times we take ourselves out of the workforce or yeah. we don't apply for that job because we think we won't get it. And you know what? If you don't get it, you don't get it. Right. Like, like I said, plenty of jobs I haven't gotten. So continue to put yourself out there and the more you know a lot of times people always say this too from us because I'm active in the strength and conditioning community yeah and I hear that a lot like there's not a lot of women in the strength and, strength and conditioning community speaking right. on platforms either and a lot of times when I talk to people who are putting on these conferences they're like we don't get a lot of female applications oh so interesting. yeah we'd yeah. love to have more it's women. like these self-limiting yeah we have these right? sort of self-limiting things I'm yeah. like I'm not going to put myself out there or I'm not going to apply for that because I'm not going to get it it doesn't matter if you don't get it the more we can put ourselves in the mix, right? Bring ourselves to the table, right? Lean into the table. Yeah. Um, the, the more opportunities we're going to have. Well, and uh, um, that's an area that I'm passionate about from from the perspective of keeping women in the workforce. I think that professionally, there's also shame associated with. Um, taking part-time jobs or finding flexible ways to remain in the workforce once you become the mother. Or if, if you have outside passions of being strength and conditioning or, or a, a physical therapist. And so I've really worked hard to, to find and create work opportunities for women that are part-time and, and, and speak to the stay-at-home mom or someone that's dual-passioned. Um, but I, I even like what you're saying, which is before you ever get to that point, you know, keep Keep your name in the hat, right. keep pushing forward, uh, deal with that when it gets here. You don't have to limit yourself right. kind of before that. Right, absolutely. So you're a uh, multidisciplinary practitioner, physical therapist, athletic trainer. Um, how has that been beneficial? And how has it been difficult to, to kind of manage the two of those? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I love my multidisciplinary background. I love blending Eastern and Western medicine. Yeah. I love sort of all of those things, right? Yeah. Like I'm a very blending sort of person. Sure. Yeah. And so, and I think it gives me a really unique perspective. And yeah. to have experiences from all of those different perspectives is, is just, it's a really neat thing for me and how uh -huh. I've really enjoyed growing my career. Right. Um, you know, I think a lot of times it, from a limiting standpoint, people want to define you by the letters after your name. Mm. And that can be very limiting. Like, well, what are you? Are you a PT? Are you an athletic trainer? Yeah. And I'm are like, you this or yeah, this? are you this yeah. or this? And I'm like, well, why, why can't I be both? Mm -hmm. And I think I've worked really hard. And that was the huge attraction to athletes performance back in 2001 was Mark Verstegen never asked me to choose the letters after my name to define me. Interesting. Right. He allowed me. It was really the only opportunity that was allowing me to be an athletic trainer, be a physical therapist, and be a strength coach all at the same time, and not have to choose the letters after my name that I wanted to be defined by. Well, and it's it's interesting that you say that because now I feel like it's quite commonplace. Right. This idea of um, having multi-credentials or um, wearing multiple hats even within the same position. So are you saying, you know, back, let's say pre-2000, that wasn't necessarily the case? Like, do you feel like culturally there's been a change that's allowed for more of that? Yeah, I do. I do think that there has been a cultural change because I think 
so many organizations are looking for people who are multi-skilled and yeah. who can spend time in the weight room as well as in the athletic training room right. and on the field right. and in the rehab room, right? Like, it's really nice to hire one person who can wear multiple hats and be in different rooms and be comfortable in different rooms. No doubt. Because so many people, um, so many organizations, so many universities, colleges, whatever it may be, right? A lot of times we live in these silos where yes. the athletic trainers live in the athletic training room. Yep. The physical therapist lives in the outpatient clinic right. away from campus or away from whatever. And then the strength and conditioning coaches live in the weight room. And really, that's not... We know that's not how it works. No, right? no. There's so much synergy There's between so, them all. There has to be, right, right? And right. so much overlap. And so when you have somebody who feels comfortable being in all three of those rooms, I love all three of those rooms for really different reasons. Yeah. And it's nice when I can follow and be with my athlete in all of those rooms um, and be all of those different things and be able to communicate. There's some of those things I'm better at than others. Yeah. But I can communicate and feel comfortable in all those spaces. Well, and that's what I was going to say is, I mean, truly, if our focus is on the care of the athlete, then we should be in all of those spaces. Whether we're multidisciplinary or not, the athletic trainer should be walking down to the weight room. Right. The strength coach should be walking over to the physical therapy clinic. The physical therapist should be coming over to the athletic training room. So, you know, I think as a profession, um, there's a there's a big push and promotion for interdisciplinary and interprofessional, um, you know, practice and, and work and all this stuff. And, you know, for someone that is a multidisciplinary practitioner, you're living it, right? It's right. not just, well, I walk down there, you know, at two o'clock on Mondays. Right. <laughs> it's my entire existence. Um, so do you feel, you know, between the, the physical therapist and the athletic training professions, do you feel like there's more synergy there or kind of more animosity? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting question. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because we know historically there's been some animosity there, right? right? And, and that just is. And I think that the new initiatives between the NATA and the APTA right. are really, really fantastic to see. And it's been a long time coming. Okay. Right? Like, I can't believe it's 2019 and the APTA and the NATA have just sat down to say, oh, let's so support each other. We're just now other. doing a joint statement. Right. right. We're right. just doing this joint venture, yeah. which is, you know, it's crazy, right? And so, but it's wonderful. Yeah. So again, really, really exciting time. Sure. And, and so, yeah, I think in the past there has been animosity, and I think in certain situations there still are, and that comes down to from fear, right? At the end of the day, mm. when people are judging you because of whether it's what you look like or the letters after your name, yeah. it's all because of fear and misunderstanding, yeah. right? And so yeah. the more we can educate people as to what an athletic trainer is, what an athletic trainer is not, how we can help, how we can support an athlete-centered care model, yes. then everybody, like the athlete is going to win, right? The patient is going to win. And that's really what it's all about. Yeah, I would say, I think if we keep that at the core of our discussion, Always. then you you eliminate the noise and all of the other scuffles that have come and gone or right. I mean, not to be dismissive of it you know but yeah. um but I think it, that yeah that stuff it, takes care of itself 100%. when we're focused on the thing that we should all be focused on a hundred percent and people right like at the end of the day people want to take care of their families and so when any when anytime somebody feels a threat to their livelihood yes then those walls come up as Absolutely. well, right? So the more we can break down the walls, and sadly, there's plenty of patients for us all. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. For better or worse. For better or worse. <laughs> there's plenty of patients for us all. And so, you know, it doesn't have to be about that. Right. And I think the more we can educate and, and be the one that is extending the olive branch to say, hey, I'm an athletic trainer in your area. Here's what I do. What I do. Here's what I don't do. I would love to learn from you. How can I support you? Like, be the one to extend that olive branch. Absolutely. It's a very 
very rare someone won't take it. Yeah, and that's the thing, you you disengage, you acknowledge what they can bring, and then you find those areas for collaboration. Yeah. It's not about me versus you, or what do you do versus what I do, you know, back to the point you were making. Right. Of which which credentials do I have to choose for the, for the end of my name? Um, there's opportunity for everybody, right? Right, there really is. Um, so entrepreneurship and practitioner-based business owners uh, have been pretty prevalent in physical therapy uh, for a long time. Um, and now that's, that idea is starting to permeate the athletic training space. So where do you see the future of athletic training and how it relates to the business side of things? Yeah, I there's so much opportunity. No doubt. Yeah. So much <laughs> opportunity. And I think what athletic trainers are starting to figure out, which is wonderful, is that the only place, we don't just operate with team coverage. Right, right, right. There's so many different opportunities for us to be in, and that includes a cash-based private practice. Yes. As long as you're following state laws and you're yep. working under a, or, you know, closely with a physician yep. and, and, and under physician direction and you're following your state laws, there's no reason you can't be a cash-based entrepreneur. Right. And that's really exciting because I think athletic trainers do bring a really interesting thing to the cash-based healthcare market. Yes. Yeah, yeah. you know, I think that, um, there's a space, this, the same space that we live in, in the school system, in the school healthcare system, in um, all of these other systems that we've historically been a part of, we can go uh, general population or cash pay with it. it and to your point, um, you know, we can eliminate that barrier in terms of access. We can make ourselves more accessible to more people by going in that direction. Um, and right. I do think that, you know, someone like yourself and um, other people that have, have done businesses like this are, are providing a model for people to be able to say, oh, okay, no, I could do this. I can, I could see myself doing this. Uh, I wouldn't have to reinvent the wheel in right. order to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I, you know, I have a concierge based practice sure. where I work with one athlete on every spectrum. Right. Yeah. And of course I follow my state laws and I, I'm of course legal with everything I do, yeah. but it really eliminates, right? When you're, let's say from a physical therapy standpoint and from a clinic standpoint, um, you know, you're like, oh, I can't charge, for, I can't put something into insurance, exactly. right? Because it's not physical therapy. Whereas when I have a cash-based concierge practice, I can do strength and conditioning. Right. I can do um, needling with them. I can do emergent care. I can do urgent care. Yeah. I, you know, I could do rehabilitation. I could do all of these different things. And it's, it's really sort of, the fact that I don't rely on insurance um, really removes sort of some of those barriers that insurance places um, on the practice model yeah. right? and really allows me to take care of the patient's needs um, according to whatever whatever that is within my scope of practice. And again, reiterating the same thing, the focus is on the athlete, the focus is on care, the focus is on delivering what their needs are, right? So we're eliminating all of these other things, whether it's insurance or how do I code this or, and it's, it's using the entire bandwidth, the whole breadth of what you have to offer right. and you're getting that athlete or whoever that individual is 
back to where they need to be. So That's right. It's, and you yeah. support them, and then you become part of their um, social network as well, right? Their yes. family network and their support system. And so we know the biopsychosocial model, all of those things come into play. So now when you're creating relationships with their wives and their kids and their dads, and that, really right, like all of a sudden, I become a part of that whole unit as yeah. opposed to being the person that they come to see two to three times a week. Yeah, the outsider. The outsider, right? right? Like right. now all of a sudden it's, oh hey, like, you know, you, you kind of become part of their social support network. No doubt. Um, in a really cool, professional, appropriate right, way. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like I don't Good mean that to be. distinction to make yeah, there. Yeah, for yes. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but that is a different, a different approach to healthcare than, oh, let me go see my healthcare provider at this place that's away from all of my other support networks. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before I jump into the next question, we do have um, a listener out there, uh, Doc uh, Timothy Acklin from New Mexico, and he wants to say that you're an amazing ambassador for our profession. Oh my gosh, you're so kind. Thank you so much. That's that. <laughs> so thank that you for thrills that me in. and yeah. like really warms my heart because I am passionate. You know, people. I don't know if you guys know this, but like I was a physical therapist first, and although oh, okay. I love physical therapy, but I was so passionate about the athletic training and watching. I worked with a, an amazing athletic trainer named Karen Taylor in North Carolina. Oh, okay. And watch what she did, and I was like, what is this athletic training thing? So I actually went back and did my athletic training second. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I did not know that, and I don't feel like that's a common path. Yeah. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah, that's yeah. Awesome. So I really appreciate that, because I've always had this passion about athletic trainers and, and what we do, and so to the point that, you know, 20 years I wanted to to abandon working and went back to school to become an athletic trainer. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I think more people need to know that. I'm going to share that part of the story. Thanks. That's so great. So thank so you. So now you have structure and function. This is your primary business or, I mean, this is kind of your wheelhouse, you know, yeah. so, so the dry needling. Um, talk to me about where the concept came from. I think that you're really the one spearheading it in athletic training. Um, maybe the purpose of it. Talk me through some of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, up to this point, um, I'll talk about kind of where we were and where we're headed. So yeah. Structure and Function um, Education really start, did start off as a dry needling education company. Right. Um, and I had been teaching dry needling um, and, and had this opportunity in 2016 okay. uh, to really start my own education company, which was amazing. Uh-huh. And I was really passionate about teaching athletic trainers how to safely and effectively dry needle. Okay. Because I think, one, we are healthcare providers, number one, right? So when people want to have the argument that athletic trainers, it's not in their scope of practice, just because it's not in everybody's scope of practice, right? right. Maybe if you're working, you know, I don't even know what There's type of There's certain applications for it, but, and that's across the board, right? Absolutely. Like, rectal thermometers matter. might not be uh, applicable in the physician extender setting. Right. right. You know, right exactly. Right, 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 right. So I was really passionate about bringing this modality and this information to the athletic trainer. And I think structure and function is different, is that we're the only educational provider of dry needling right. who is owned by athletic trainers who athletic trainers teach dry needling to other athletic trainers so we understand how the modality is utilized yeah, in season off season mm -hmm. pre-practice post-practice right. pre or post-competition so so yeah I think that's a, that's a unique perspective but again I think for me my passion lies in elevating um, allowing athletic trainers to practice to the top of their scope I love that yeah and so 
dry needling has existed pre-2016. Yes. Where does it come from? What are its origins? Yeah, you know, I, I know it's, it's it's controversial for me to say the A word, but right, like it comes from acupuncture. Oh, right? like oh I'm like, the what's day. the A word? I know what's the A word gonna oh, be, okay. right? Because so, there, there is a distinction. There is, yeah, there's absolutely. definitely a distinction. But it's like saying someone, you know, oh, you're a physician. Your first question is, well, what kind of physician are you? Are you right. an OBGYN, are you an orthopedist? Yeah. Right? And so acupuncture is really the overlap umbrella and so when we start to look at the differences between traditional Chinese medicine and Western medical acupuncture yeah and then all the different things that fall under Western medical acupuncture sure um, there's all these different categories and dry needling is one of those categories I see right so it's kind of like one of its cousins yeah <laughs> totally and so yeah when we look back I mean technically you could say dry needling has been around for thousands of years it's right. just sort of picked up um, speed I suppose right. in the last you know however many However many years. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, the work that you're doing from the education standpoint, it is empowering people to go back to their legislators, change their scope of practice, make sure that they can do this in their state because it's a very effective modality and people are seeing results from it. And uh, to your point, if we want to operate at the at the top of our scope of practice, we need to have the permission, right, to right. do so. Um, so it sounds like, your, um, I don't know, I, I don't want to say legend, but you know, like the 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 changes that you're going to make are going beyond just you as an individual practitioner. You're now sharing this knowledge, sharing this skill set with other people, and you're potentially completely changing the scope of practice for athletic trainers yeah. to be able to implement this. Which Thank is, you. That's phenomenal. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's incredible. I really, I, I really appreciate that. And yeah, I, you know, I think. I think sometimes, and we hear this a lot when we're talking to athletic trainers, they're surprised, like, oh, I can do that? Right. Like, I'm allowed to do that? And I'm like, right. well, you've got to obviously check within your state yeah. practice act, but there's very few states that say, yes, absolutely, an athletic trainer can dry needle, and there's right. very few states that say, absolutely, no, an athletic right. trainer can't dry needle. Right. So most of it is, have you been trained? Have you been properly trained? Is your supervising physician on board with, with this, mm -hmm. right? And do you mm -hmm. have standing orders? And, right. and sort of what, how are you al allowed to use this within not only within your state but within your company and within your practice yeah and, and so but yeah I'm always amazed at, at some athletic trainer conversations uh, that I have where people are like well I didn't even know that I can do that and yeah. so to be like yeah like we can we can have this I mean just like we could possibly do IVs or we can right. possibly suture right. right there's all these things that we have the ability to do depending totally. on how we're trained where we practice how we practice and who we're who we're working with so and going back to the lean-in concept, stop asking for permission. You know, just <laughs> <laughs> ask right. for forgiveness if you have to, you know. <laughs> um, well, this has been awesome. If people want to find you on social media or they want to attend one of your courses, how can they find you? Where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you're here at convention, definitely come by booth uh, 3252. That yep. is where we are. And so you can win to, uh, register to win for a free class. Come oh, get some awesome swag. Cool. Um, and so, yeah. And then on social media, just my name, Sue Falsoni or um, Structure and Function. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter, we're on all everything. So. Yeah, and you're taking classes all over the country, right? So yes. I, I mean, you're taking your classes all over the yeah, country. Yeah, so. so if you go to um, structureandfunction.net, okay. you'll be able to find all of our classes for dry needling. And then within the next few months, we're going to have a lot of, we're really expanding, moving from a dry needling education company to an education company. So cool. stuff surrounding my book, Bridging the Gap for rehab to performance. Yep. Um, we've got some cool manual therapy things coming. We've got some online stuff coming. So as we really sort of expand, there'll be a lot of really great opportunities.
opportunities for dry needling as well as rehabilitation and manual therapy stuff. So definitely check out structureandfunction.net. Love it. Thank you so much. And if anybody wants to listen to this as a playback, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Sue Falzoni. I I apologize if you can mispronounce it the first time. It's totally fine. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, everybody. Thank you.